Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. We're back! After a two-month break from the normal everyday routines, I'm excited to say that Talk Paper Scissors is back with some fantastic guest hosts guiding you through the next seven episodes. Now, you might have heard me talk about my advanced typography students in previous episodes, and they are always an eager and talented group of senior-level students who have taken a keen interest in design and type. One of the assessments they were asked to complete last semester was a choose-your-own-adventure-style project. One of the options was to research a single typeface and explore design history through its lens, continuing the work I had started the previous year with an incomplete history of type series. 17 students took me up on this project option, and 7 showed interest in wanting to share their final episodes more broadly through this podcast. I'm really excited to share what they've come up with in the next few episodes. Now, this is the only time you'll hear my voice. They are taking the reins and telling the stories behind the typefaces. So appearing in chronological order from their date of design, we're going to start with Dido. We then move to Bodoni, Gilsands, Times New Roman, ITC Benguiat, Proxima Nova, and finally, Geometos. All right, take it away, Nate. Enjoy. From the Middle Ages to the Middle East, from Futura to Freight, join us on a journey across the type universe and go where no designer has gone before. Welcome to an incomplete history of type. Name, Dido. Release date, between 1784 and 1811. Designer, Fermin Dido. Classification, Modern Serif. Owned by various type foundries, most notably Heffler & Co. and Linotype. Claim to fame, the beginning of the neoclassical typeface movement and recognized fashion icon as Vogue magazine's logo. Dido has often been regarded as the first modern typeface. This style was perfected by Fermin Dido and later by Giambattista Bodoni, with both men eventually being recognized as the fathers of the Didone typography movement. Inspired by perhaps one of the most widely known transitional typefaces of the 18th century, Baskerville, Fermin Dido experimented with the current letter forms of that era stretching the boundaries of typography to its extremes before releasing his first typeface in 1784. Interestingly, the original typeface was never fully completed, and he actually spent over 27 years making changes before his death. As a result, many type foundries have created their own Didot derivatives in honor of the typographic giant. For this episode, we will explore two revivals of the Didot typeface, 
HTFDDO by Huffler and Co. and LinoTypeDDO by LinoType. The DDO typeface features a character set with increased stroke contrast, condensed armature, hairline strokes, vertical stress, and flat, unbracketed serifs. While unsuitable for body copy due to its almost extreme contrast level, DDO is often seen in large format signage and for various display purposes. The Heffler & Co. revival of this typeface features a staggering 42 fonts compared to its Linotype cousin, which only has seven variations. This was possible with their introduction of italics that they designed to work at large sizes, which in the realm of modern typography was the first of its kind. Additionally, Heffler & Co. drew each of the family's six styles in seven different optical sizes to keep its hairlines delicate at every size. 6, 11, 16, 24, 42, 64, and 96 points. Using the appropriate font, along with its corresponding size, keeps the hairlines crisp and the type legible. Dido, as we know, is often associated with grandeur denoting luxury, opulence, and artistry of only the highest degree, attracting the eyes of large fashion publications, designers, and brands. In fact, Didot also found itself being sought after by royalty, thanks to Fairman Didot himself, whose family owned the most influential and successful print shop and font foundry in France. So much so, that Fermin, along with seven other family members, became printers for the king himself. Eventually, the Dido typeface would be considered the standard in French printing for over a century. Vogue, the most influential and most recognizable publication in the world of fashion, decided to use the typeface for its iconic logo in 1947. From Japan to the United States, the typeface's fame spreads. In 1991, Harper's Bazaar, a prominent magazine dedicated to looking at the lives of women through the lens of fashion, commissioned Heffler & Co. to create a typeface that, in their words, works like no other, a modern which, unlike the commercial cuts on Bodoni, would have hairline serifs and maintain over a range of sizes. This was followed by companies and brands such as the Columbia Broadcasting Station, or CBS, the band Nirvana, Zara, and Giorgio Armani. Ironically, Fermin Didot, inventor of this widely known luxurious typeface and trusted printer of the King of France, is also credited with the invention of stereotypography, an innovation in print production and distribution that ultimately changed the book industry. It involved the use of a stereotype, a solid plate of type metal that was cast from a paper mache or plaster mold taken from the surface of a form of type. Fun fact, the mold used in creating a stereotype was indeed called a flong. <laughs> Didot's stereotypes were far lighter, less fragile, and took up less space than a form full of type. This process allowed books to be printed less expensively, which opened up book ownership and casual literacy to the masses. Printing this typeface required only the highest quality paper and equipment, which given its association with luxury, seemed almost fitting. Writer and typographer Sarah Hinman embarked on an investigation that explored the relationship between typography and cost. 
Hinman's previous book discussed the taste we associated with different fonts, so this time she was on a mission to discover whether a typeface could truly make a product appear more expensive, and also whether other typographic characteristics have been associated with being cheap. Hinman conducted her survey in a vacuum, with black typefaces laid out against white paper with only the words, buy me. I found this particularly interesting since typefaces are rarely seen in such an isolated manner, free from any kind of context. Hinman's survey, which was answered by over 370 participants, suggested that bold typefaces with round terminals appear inexpensive, whereas lighter weights, serifs, and contrasts elicited a higher price point with Didot being considered the diamond of all typefaces. Reading about these results had me wondering whether the same associations would be made for a designer working on a luxury brand, which begs to ask the question, can a typeface or a family of fonts like Didot truly symbolize luxury and therefore distinctiveness if they're commonly used? Rowan Adams, creative director of Rowan Co., a boutique agency, sees luxury as an ever-evolving space rather than some static concept. She says, For a long time, thin, wispy, or high-contrast serifs were common and seemingly only associated with luxury. But as the industry evolved and looked for new customers, naturally a more subtle, less flashy aesthetic was born. This can be seen in brands like Chanel, Proenza Chulet, Balenciaga, and Fendi, who have all led the trend towards a more subdued and somewhat understated sans-serif type system. If we think about it, this change actually suits the time, if we consider the digital space, where thin serifs are often hard to replicate on screen and inadvertently call for a stronger, more usable, and clear typography. Type expert and designer Jonathan Heffler describes HTFD Doe as a major part of the most fashionable brands, a testament to the flexibility and durability of the style. However, he also adds, the best typefaces are those that can speak in different voices and convey different things. So perhaps there's no one typeface that can truly evoke a sense of luxury. Instead, the relationship between typography and luxury is an ever-evolving concept that adapts with consumer trends that are also ever-evolving. However, Hinman's survey does suggest that cultural associations are in fact deeply ingrained in the way we experience typography, and until she conducts another study, Didot will forever remain a diamond in the world of typography.